The results of clinical trials of the Russian vaccine Sputnik V have demonstrated impressive results, which have now been recognized by the international medical community. The vaccine has been shown to be safe and effective with no serious side effects identified and uses a proven platform based on human adenoviral vectors, which is currently the safest mechanism for introducing the genetic code of the virus spike into the human body. This approach has been thoroughly studied not only in Russia, but also internationally. Russia has a long and successful track record developing vaccines and remains a global leader in this field. We hope that the vaccine will soon become available across the world to help stop the devastating pandemic and enable people to return to normal life. Professor Nadi Hakim, Vice President of the British Red Cross, Vice President of the International Medical Sciences Academy, testimonial taken from the Sputnik vaccine website. Welcome to the Politics of Pandemics, episode 34, Sputnik Moment. As any space enthusiast or Cold War buff may know, a Sputnik moment refers to the time when Sputnik 1, the world's first artificial satellite launched by the Soviet Union, began to transmit short, quick beeping signals on October 4, 1957. Those simple, monotone beeps shook the world, being a near-total surprise for almost anyone at the time. It was a moment that significantly unnerved their ideological enemies and eventually represented a massive propaganda and technological win for the Russians, at least for a little while. So it's no surprise that the Gamaleya Research Institute, part of the Ministry of Health for the Russian Federation, named their vaccine Sputnik, or Sputnik V, outside of the country. It is certainly an unusual name for a vaccine. Sputnik means satellite, or traveling companion depending on the etymology. There was very likely an expectation that the registration of the vaccine on August 1st, 2020 one of the first in the world, would represent yet another Sputnik moment for Russia, another signal that they had won the COVID-19 vaccine race. While Sputnik V continues to go unrecognized in some of Europe and the United States for reasons we will get into, the vaccine is in use in 50 countries. Today, we will see how popular the vaccine eventually turned into, contrasting it to its lackluster domestic reception that we talked about last episode, and see whether Sputnik V and its variations have a chance of continuing to be in use as the COVID-19 virus continues to evolve and change in the post-lockdown era, and as Russia continues to be more and more of a pariah in the international stage. The Sputnik V vaccine is what is called the viral vector vaccine, meaning that the vaccine uses a viral vector to deliver genetic material to the immune system, rather than a weakened or dead virus like in some vaccines or the new mRNA technique that Pfizer and Moderna use. What's notable about Sputnik is that the two-dose vaccine, provided 21 days apart, each contains a different adenovirus vector, which the Gamaleya Institute claims provides better efficacy against COVID-19 than a two-dose vaccine delivering the same adenoviral vector. In that sense, Sputnik is meant to be comparable to other adenoviral vaccines like the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine and Janssen vaccines. Comparing efficacy between vaccines is difficult, especially given the evolving variants and environmental factors, but if studies in Mexico and other countries hold up, the Sputnik vaccine seems to be comparable in efficacy to those other two Western counterparts. The vaccine would be developed by the Gamaleya Institute under the Ministry of Health. While it started in the late 19th century as a private laboratory, today the Institute is one of Russia's national epidemiology research centers studying all kinds of diseases and having a history of developing similar viral vector vaccines for Ebola. So when the race to develop the COVID-19 vaccine was on, the Gamaleya Institute was the obvious place to start development. The effort, funded by the Russian Sovereign Wealth Fund, 
the Russian Development Institution Fund, would be spearheaded by Alexander Ginsburg, the head of the institution, who told CNN on October 2020 that the expedited effort to develop a vaccine was to give the people hope, not due to political pressure. He had suspended all of the work at the Institute and had the whole center focused on vaccine development. Ginsburg sounds like a rather interesting character in an interview he gave to Zahra Ullah and Matthew Chance of CNN as he tried to sell the outlet on the vaccine and his institution's efforts while CNN poked holes in his story. For instance, they learned that he and his staff were injected with the vaccine as early as April 2020. This was long before trials had even begun on June 2020. This unorthodox bypassing of scientific norms would become a consistent theme throughout the development of Sputnik V up to and including the announcement of the vaccine's registration on August 11, 2020 by President Vladimir Putin himself. Ginsburg himself brushes off the accusations of political pressure, joking that, quote, the only link to the Kremlin we have is Putin Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin on my cabinet, a gift of a photo from 14 years ago. That did not stop the whispers, especially as the approval was provided long before phase three trials even began, which were the mass human trials necessary for most approvals. The results from phase two were only published a month after this approval, showing only 76 participants took part in the trial. The results were promising, yes, and these early phases were key hurdles the Sputnik vaccine must pass on its way to full approval. Not to mention the registration was provided with conditions, which most countries did with many vaccines as well. But to say this registration was extremely premature given how early it was is putting it lightly. Ginsburg, who describes the pandemic as a war and an epidemic, brushes off these concerns. Quote, Maybe we should ask the relatives of those who died if they would have preferred to vaccinate their loved ones with a vaccine that demonstrated brilliant early results and no side effects, or to wait until the end of the trials for those results to be confirmed. I believe the answer to this question is obvious. Ultimately, despite the early authorization, very few doses of Sputnik were produced outside of the phase three trials in 2020. A few people received it, like medical professionals and Putin's daughter, allegedly, but most Russians would not be able to get it for many, many months. So the early registration was certainly intention-grabbing for sure, and it caused some commotion in the international community. European and American officials came out pretty quickly and said that the vaccine would be rejected if it was released before testing was deemed sufficient. The World Health Organization, who keeps a running tap on vaccines for international acceptance, said, quote, We are in close contact with Russian health authorities and discussions are ongoing with respect to possible WHO pre-qualification of the vaccine. But again, pre-qualification of any vaccine includes rigorous review and assessment of all required safety and efficacy data. Many others, or less diplomatic, calling it hasty or a political stunt. If anything, announcing the registration of the vaccine so early created an immediate perception amongst some authorities, and definitely amongst Western ones, that the Sputnik vaccine was a hasty, politically driven, ineffective vaccine. Sputnik was always going to be caught in a political fight between the West and East, so negative comments regarding the vaccine from Americans and Europeans were unexpected. The United States did not recognize Sputnik as an approved vaccine, and the status of the vaccine in most of the EU took a while to be approved. Domestically, Russians shouldn't really be bothered with the adversaries of the motherland putting down Sputnik V. And once the vaccine became publicly available in December 2020 in Russia, and more data started rolling in, Sputnik didn't do all that differently compared to other similar vaccines as we discussed. But enthusiasm for Sputnik V within vaccine was still dull. And that can be due to several early missteps during the rollout and the early months of the vaccination program. We already spoke a little bit about the Russian people's hesitation to take the Sputnik vaccine in the previous episode. By late April 2021, five months after the official start of the vaccination program, only 10% of Russian adults had taken the vaccine. 
Whatever early lead Russia had, releasing Sputnik earlier than almost any other vaccine, was squandered as demand petered off pretty quickly. In May 2021, as Moscow was gripped by yet another wave of COVID-19, the mayor of Moscow, Sergei Sobyanin, decried the low take-up rates of Sputnik. We were the first major city in the world to announce the start of mass vaccination, and what? Sobyanin said. The percentage of vaccinated people in Moscow is less than any other European city, in some cases, several times over. Last episode, we focused on the mindset of the Russian people and how decades of disinformation and ever-changing messaging caused many to be skeptical of the vaccine, and that is definitely true. In early March of 2021, 62% of Russians were reluctant to take the shot, with young people most skeptical, and it has only gotten marginally better in the years since. Much of this vaccine skepticism is pre-existing from before the pandemic. COVID-19 just made it worse, like it did in many other countries. But in my opinion, the government push to get people vaccinated was already pretty lackluster. You'd think that the successor to the former Soviet Union with its colorful propaganda posters would be excellent in driving the people to vaccination centers, but like the lockdown measures, the official push has been surprisingly muted. This starts at the very top. Many countries have had their leaders vaccinated on live TV, along with celebrities and any other popular or public figures, in a coordinated event to promote the safety of the vaccine. Think back to Catherine the Great inoculating herself before the rest of the nobility followed suit. This did not happen with Putin. He only got vaccinated in March 2021, months after the public release of the vaccine, and even then it was done in secret. No photos of the president with a needle in his arm, especially not while shirtless riding a horse through the prairie. This attitude trickles down to other politicians and officials as well, whose messaging seems weirdly avoidant on issues regarding the vaccine. Talking heads on Russia seem wishy-washy on whether the pandemic was even over, depending on the case numbers of the day. Part of it may be that most Russians just never locked down, never faced restrictions, and had the government and their media downplaying the coronavirus pandemic for all this while. While there are a couple of exceptions and definitely lots of masking, life was otherwise relatively normal in Russia. Many of us may have taken the vaccine with the hope that enough of us being vaccinated will remove the need for lockdowns and restrictions and other things, which so far seems to be true. But outside of the doubts and fears and selfishness that we discussed last week, even if you don't believe most of that, Russians may not just have felt the need to get the shot. Just get sick and you'll get better soon. After all, it's just like the flu. And in fact, most Russians in 2021 believe that once you got the coronavirus, you were immune from future infections. It's a belief that's been proven untrue now, but was enough of a widespread belief that many people who had the virus before wouldn't bother with vaccination. Quoting Joshua Yaffa, reported for New Yorker on April 12, 2021, Antoine Barchuk, an epidemiologist at European University at St. Petersburg and Tampere University, carried out a sample study this spring of several hundred residents of St. Petersburg. His preliminary analysis suggests that between 40 and 50% of the people's population may have been exposed to the virus. He imagines a similar figure from Moscow. I recently attended a small birthday dinner at the capital. Of the nine people present, seven had come down with COVID-19 over the past year. I was the only one who'd been vaccinated. Even if demand for vaccines within Russia was higher, Russians would quickly find itself running into supply chain problems. Unlike with other vaccines, and as touched on at the start of the episode, the two doses of Sputnik are essentially two different vaccines, making production more difficult than normal. Sputnik was sold internationally as well, with millions of shots ordered from countries like India, Hungary, and Iran. These orders need to be fulfilled, and quickly, without compromising domestic supply too much, or the reputation of Sputnik V.
episodes we did on Iran, you might remember Ayatollah Khomeini decreeing a ban on vaccines from the United States and Europe, meaning that Pfizer, Moderna, Janssen, and others like it. In its place, Iran is vaccinating its people with a combination of vaccines from China, Russia, and other places, including Sputnik. And that is where the vaccine occupies in the international space, an alternative to the Western hegemony alongside Russia, one that is as effective as the Western option. So given that it was competing against these other vaccines, it was inevitable that Sputnik V would be caught up in this information war between countries. Russia created an international promotional effort to push Sputnik V, marketing the vaccine and Russia itself to any country that would get it. Material touting Sputnik V has been published in 30 languages to multiple countries. The official Twitter and Instagram of the Sputnik V vaccines are in English or Spanish or more, asking people to take a picture of them getting vaccinated with Sputnik V and making the V sign to win a trip to Russia. Russia Today, the Kremlin's global media arm, was deployed to create puff pieces for the vaccine, reaching millions in the Arabic market with RT Arabia and even the United States with RT America. Similarly, Sputnik News, another Russian government news outlet, has Spanish language articles. But the strongest push goes to Russian speakers outside of Russia, many from former Soviet Union states and still hold an emotional attachment to the motherland. For them, there is no other option. The skeptical voices from the West dismissing the vaccine, especially during its early registration, were framed as attacks on the Russian government itself, which may not be fully off base. Even after phase three trials and several hundred million vaccinated, the United States still does not recognize Sputnik V. In response, the Sputnik website quotes a number of Western and globally renowned scientists endorsing the vaccine's efficacy and safety, and touts a number of countries where the vaccine has approval, over 110 at the time of writing. The message is simple and clear. Sputnik is safe and effective, and stands alongside the Western and Chinese vaccines as a viable choice. Beneath the positive messaging, though, is Russia's most effective weapon in modern times, disinformation. Throughout the pandemic, the country has pushed fake news and confusion about the coronavirus as part of its disinformation campaigns, especially in Eastern Europe. And as Sputnik is set to compete in the global vaccine market, Russia has turned to the same tactics to undermine confidence in Western vaccines and pump up its own product. A good example is a quote from Kirill Dimitrov, chief executive of the Russian Direct Investment Fund, in an article published to Russian speakers in the former Soviet Union. Quote, Western vaccine manufacturers rely on experimental, little studied, and not proven in the long-term technologies, encountering obstacles in their clinical trials. Articles like this shed doubt and exaggerate the side effects suffered by recipients of the Pfizer and Oxford vaccines. While their primary marks are markets where Sputnik is just one of many potential choices for vaccination, like in Central Europe and Asia, many of these stories have made it all over the world to conspiracy sites in the United States and other countries. Stories of corruption amongst Pfizer executives, of secret harmful tests done on unsuspecting locals, these stories gain a lot of traction amongst the raging anti-vaccine movements in Western countries. Divorced from the context of selling Sputnik vaccines, they just became generic anti-vaccine scaremongers. It is hard to say whether such a disinformation campaign work. I do want to state that for most countries around the world, not strictly on one side or another of this new cold war between Russia and the West, what vaccine they use is a matter of availability, not ideology or nationalism. Countries like India, Argentina, and Slovakia order a mix of vaccines from various sources to maximize their supply. In particular, Argentina received over 6.3 million doses as of mid-July 2021, a fact touted by Instagram photos of shipments of Sputnik V and the close relationship between Argentine authorities and Russian officials. This international competition is what Russia is hoping to stamp out with its disinformation campaign, discrediting Western vaccines and promoting its own. But first, Russia has to get the vaccines to those people who want them. 
Russia initially promised nearly 900 million doses to be shipped in 2021, a figure that it fell severely short from, as orders of millions of doses from Palestine, Iran, and Nepal went unfulfilled. As of May 31st, 2022, only 310 million doses have been delivered within and outside of Russia, only 2% of the global supply since the start of the pandemic. And the orders keep coming. India has also begun to use Sputnik in its vaccination efforts, ordering a whopping 250 million doses. To assist with supply efforts, Sputnik is now being produced in South Korea, Brazil, India, as well as up to 15 different countries. Many of the largest producers already manufacture other vaccines like the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, and now help feed the demand for Sputnik, where vaccination efforts are still ongoing. Since that initial push, the Galileo Institute has produced Sputnik Light, which is basically just the first dose of the vaccine, for use as boosters and emergency situations. While Russia still falls short domestically in its vaccination efforts, Sputnik has found particular popularity in Latin America. Mexico has the highest awareness of the Sputnik vaccine of any country outside of Russia, and the vaccine is in use in a majority of South American nations. Argentine President Alberto Fernandez was the first world leader to take the Sputnik vaccine, well before President Putin. As we pointed out, the Sputnik vaccine is now offered in many countries alongside CanSino and Sinovac from China, and Western vaccines like Pfizer, Janssen, and AstraZeneca. However, if the makers and promoters of Sputnik wanted their vaccine to conquer the world and overtake their Western-made competitors, Russia's other interests would put that to rest pretty quickly. On February 25, 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine, which swiftly antagonized NATO and led to a large number of sanctions against the country. These sanctions, as well as the dramatic fall from grace of the Russian administration on the world stage over this belligerent act, has affected Sputnik V in more ways than one. Quote, we were supposed to go do inspections in Russia on March 7th, and these inspections were postponed to a later date. Mariangela Simao, WHO Assistant Director General for Access to Medicines and Health Products, said during a press briefing. The delay and possible permanent scuttling of the ongoing assessment by the WHO of the Sputnik vaccine will almost certainly affect approval of the vaccine, as well as its ability to sell to COVAX and other vaccination efforts around the globe. Russia would have provided 110 million doses to developing countries for UNICEF had they received approval from the WHO, which is now very unlikely. Ongoing efforts to have Sputnik approved in the European Union, even for travel, would also certainly be stalled now if they have not already been approved when the war began. The sanctions, of course, affect the Russian Direct Investment Fund, which, again, funded the development of Sputnik. To quote the U.S. Department of the Treasury, while officially a sovereign wealth fund, RDIF is widely considered a slush fund for President Vladimir Putin and is emblematic of Russia's wider kleptocracy. Restrictions on the SWIFT financial network that facilitates payments also impact the ability of the international community to pay for Sputnik. The sanctions could also potentially affect raw materials for vaccine production, although the Gamaleya Institute had denied that this is the case. Alexander Ginsberg, the head of the Gamaleya Institute, who we talked about earlier, has accused the international community of punishing Russia. Quoting him just days before the war began, I believe Sputnik V poses serious competition to the vaccines that are currently broadly used in the world and basically dominating the international market. He seems to believe that had the delays in approval not occurred, the market would flock to Sputnik. Maybe Ginsburg was correct in saying that some of the approval delays are politically motivated, especially after the start of the war. But with emergency approvals in over 100 countries already, the market has 
pretty sufficiently rejected Sputnik for the most part. And the negative perception and sanctions towards Russia as a result of the war in Ukraine certainly does not help. vaccine Instagram stopped posting around the start of the invasion of the Ukraine. February 25th, 2022 represented the end of the pandemic era for many people, and it certainly seemed to signal the ignoble end of Sputnik's prospects as well. Despite an early start, Russia has fallen far behind in its domestic vaccination efforts and has fallen behind in grabbing market share internationally as well. The fate of Sputnik is inevitably tied to the international perception of Russia, and as Putin drags the country through the mud in the eyes of the West, it shuts off a huge portion of the already dwindling market for the already floundering vaccine. The war in Ukraine represents more than just an endpoint for Sputnik and an inflection point for the pandemic. The big guns of the Russian propaganda effort swung effortlessly to attack Ukraine and the Western efforts to prop up the country's fight against Russia. You might have heard a couple that have come up, that they wanted to protect ethnic Russians against Nazis, that the 2014 Euromaidan protests were a CIA coup. But among the many, many, many false talking points, one came up a couple of days after the start of the war that set the conspiracy world on fire, that biolabs in Ukraine were responsible for COVID-19. And that's what we'll be talking about next week, so stay tuned. Sources for this episode can be found in the episode description. For correspondence and corrections, please message me on Twitter at PolyPandemicPod. I have a Patreon now, which you can help support the show at PolyPandemicPod. No member rewards planned yet, but I will thank you at the end of the show if you do contribute. Regardless, I would like to hear from you, your story of dealing with this pandemic or any disease, and if you have any suggestions for future topics you'd like me to look into, I apologize once again for any mistakes, truncations, and pronunciation errors I have made in the preceding episode. And finally, get boosted and wash your hands, and always be critical of any information you consume, including this episode. Thank you for listening.